स्पाइस रेडियो रेडियो रूम जम सुनने आप गपशप का प्रोग्राम है हमारी घर में बाद दोपहर के दो बजकर सात मिनट हुआ चाहते हैं कुछ ही देर में आप एक आवाज़ सुनेंगे फिर उसके बाद हम आपकी मुलाकात करवाएंगे हमारे गेस्ट के साथ उनका नाम लेने की मुझे कोई ज़रूरत नहीं है बिकॉज यू विल नो हु द पर्सन इज एंड वन टू And that is Dr. Mini Randhawa. Wow, Shishmaji, it was an awfully short drum roll this time, I must say. <laughs> it, it, it was a little shorter, basically because you brought a guest with you. I did bring a guest with me. So we wanted to give more time to the guest. I really appreciate that. Um, you know, I just thought it's been, gosh, how many years have we been doing this program? Oh, um, we've been here for about 21 years. Wow. In this building, so I've known you. at least that forever yeah. but i think the radio show i started doing right when i started practicing i think year 1 i came on the radio show that's right. when i started practicing that was in 2005 wow once a month yes. since 2005 i thought our lovely listeners have been so patient and are probably so sick and tired about hear, uh, hearing from me talk about the eyes that why not start spicing it up oh you like what i did there yeah, you like I, what i did I, there i'm sorry you kept the spice <laughs> All right, and let's spice it up. Let's today. spice it up and boy are we ever going to spice it up because I have brought the most incredible guest with us. I would like uh, to introduce to our listeners Dr. Nav Jodhri. <laughs> Thank you, Minnie. So Dr. Jodhri is a neurologist. Right? Neurosurgeon. Neurosurgeon. Okay. I keep saying neurologist as I well. I keep saying so that as well. And no, so I've got to correct that. I don't know why I've always said that. You, know, you see, Shishmaji, this is how useful Spice Radio is. I learned something new in the first minute of the show. <laughs> from someone I work with and I worked with for a long, for a while now. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and we'll, we'll go from there. Sure. Um, so thank you so much for having me on the show today. I'm still waiting for my drum roll. That's right. Well, you know what? I, I'm kind of... Um I'm kind of not sharing. Not <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a couple people who've been eyeing it. Shashmaji has some good friends that come on, Divya Bakshi Arya and Anita Delacody, who also would like drum rolls. But uh, so far, I'm not willing to share. So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> so uh, Minnie and I, we met uh, working at uh, iScope Concussion and Pain Clinic. Um, And so, uh, you know, I started working at uh, iScope a few years ago and, uh, I, I, you know, initially I'm, I'm trained as a neurosurgeon, so I did right. my training out in Ontario and I was, um, I did my fellowship training in spine surgery at Stanford University and then when I moved back uh, to, to Canada, um, I started working at iScope. Um, so at that time, you know, I, has, I was working as a neurosurgeon out on Vancouver Island and I was contacted by one of the staff at um, iScope sister company, Synoptic Medical Assessments, right. um, to give a, a, an opinion on a, a medical, medical legal case. Um, and, uh, and so at that time, she had mentioned iScope, and I was quite intrigued. Right. Um, just, you know, as, as, a, as a neurosurgeon, I've, you know, treated a lot of patients with traumatic brain injuries, spine injuries, and, you know, it's, it's often, you know, easy to... to look at someone's CT or MRI, look at their symptoms and say, well, you need surgery and, you know, this is the surgical plan. This is how we're going to fix your symptoms. But right. it is, you know, quite challenging when we have uh, patients who are quite debilitated by yeah. other type of brain injuries um, like concussion who mm -hmm. um, there's not one sort of single solution for. And so I was, I was quite intrigued when I, when I heard about iScope and mm -hmm. um, started working there and have been there ever since. 
And uh, so that's where Minnie and I met. Mm. Yes, it's been fabulous. And I really want to spend a good amount of time talking about iScope and your role there um, as well. But before we do that, I'd like to get, I just get into a little bit of your history. So were you born and raised in Ontario? I was actually born in Edmonton. In Edmonton? Edmonton you yeah. have been through a great country, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, so I moved to Ontario when I was five years old. Okay. And so did all my training out there. Um, I did uh, medical school at McMaster residency at Western Ontario, and um, and then at that point I was ready to, to get out of the cold, and so I went to <laughs> you beautiful went Palo Alto, California. You went the other way, yeah. didn't you? So can yeah. I ask you, what made you choose, you know, I've got a couple of friends right now who are kind of in their third year of medical school and trying to decide which area of med school to go to. What made you choose neurosurgery? Um, so I, I really enjoyed um, neuropsychology in my undergrad, and okay. so I, I neuropsychology. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I started off uh, with psychology, then became interested in neuropsychology, and so I at that point thought I would you know, most likely go into neurology. Right. And then in my uh, first year of, uh, of medical school um, at McMaster, we do observerships quite early on, and so okay. one of the first observerships I set up was with a pediatric neurosurgeon. And I sort of just fell in love with the specialty wow. right away. Um, and at that point, you know, I'd never really thought about surgery. Right. And so I kept looking for other areas to, to go into. But that was sort of, uh, you know, what fascinated me the most. And um, I really quite enjoyed it. And so that's the, the path I, I went down. That's amazing. And so mm -hmm. then you specialized in spine for a while. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And that was in California. That's right. Okay. Tell, tell us a little bit about that experience and what that was like. Yeah, so, um, so after doing a residency in neurosurgery, there's a lot of different subspecialty areas to go into. And so um, with, uh, with spine, it involves, uh, you know, working with patients with either degenerative, um, you know, age-related uh, changes in the spine and then traumatic uh, spine injuries as, an, as another area. So right. when I went out to, to Stanford, um, I did a lot of call at our trauma hospital. And so we would see all sorts of different um, injuries to both the brain and the spine, but it was predominantly focused on spine injuries. And so now here, I mean, before we get into iScope and what you do there, what other roles do you have here? So are you still focused mainly on spine in your role here in BC? I think you work at a UBC hospital. Um, yeah, so when I moved back here, I uh, worked out on Vancouver Island, and okay. so I continue to work with that clinic, and I do a lot of spine um, triage clinics and sort of assessing patients and determining who needs surgery, who doesn't, yeah. Got it, okay. And so, and that's what you do out at UBC as well? That's that's through UBC. That's yes. through UBC, yeah. and so that's very much all spine-related work. That's right. Yeah. Interesting. Now, you know, we're talking to the, um, uh, you know, mo many of our listeners are from the Indian community, mm -hmm. of, her, of course, and mm -hmm. one of the most common complaints in the Indian community <sighs> among Indian women is, "Oh, my back, my lower back." Right. right. Yeah. Um, and Shishmaji, you've heard this, right? Like, all the time. Is there something in our, and I feel like I hear it a lot more from Indian women about lower back pain than mm -hmm. I do from any other, you know, demographic. Is there anything to that? Is there some genetic disposition to any spine issues for, for Indian women? 
Um, I'm not sure if there's any specific genetic predisposition, but sometimes it, you know it's it's multifactorial. Back right. pain is it is so complex, and there's sort of the bony components, the mm. muscular components, and so it really is sort of the the big picture of diet, exercise. I mean, how many of us do core strengthening exercises oh, for gosh. our for our back? Right, yes. and I'm, I'm guilty of that as well. Right, and so we we don't have the best right. know, low back musculature, and so when when I see patients you're right back pain is one of the primary symptoms um, that that people complain of right but very few of us have have taken the time to to do that core strength training to, to strengthen those muscles and and we and, start to feel it as we age and you know I think also not is it just not having the time but it's also the knowledge right right so you know a lot of our listeners have immigrated to this country mm-hmm. or even even if you're a first generation you know where and when do you get that educational piece on what you should be doing to take care of you know and and I'm you know if you go to a gym or something Mm -hmm. you're you're just working out but you're not actually getting educated on what the right steps to take are so to keep our body strong as we're aging also um, picking up stuff yes Mm -hmm. that's another thing people really don't know how to pick up something Uh, putting all your weight on your thighs to pick it up rather than just bending over and and picking something up i guess that could be another reason yeah and you mentioned diet is you know a lot of our listeners are vegetarian would there be any list links to being a vegetarian and and back issues or no what kind of diet issues are important i think just overall optimizing diet whether it be with you know the actual food the vitamin supplements is very important um taking calcium and and other supplements to really strengthen the bones right no that all makes sense and so then you (laughs) shifted from spine and went into iScope. Right. So do you, well, well, let's stay on spine for a moment and just say at iScope, are you dealing with spine issues as well? So we, we predominantly see patients with concussion, right. um, but with those patients, I mean, a large majority of them have been in car accidents, had work injuries, have had, you know, a fall just in day-to-day activities. And so this, the diagnosis often goes beyond concussion, right? right? They, these are patients who also have neck pain and, and back pain. And so we, uh, we do see that in a large majority of our patients. Right. It's sort of a tag along with, uh, with the concussion. So before you go on to iScope, yes. we have to break the program. Oh, of course. Sorry. You know, I forgot all about that. Yeah, I know. You get excited. <laughs> what about all the commercials I have to play? <laughs> Very important. Right? So uh, th- did that thought complete? Yes. It's complete. Yeah. It is? <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that. We'll take a short commercial break and we'll be right back with two very important smart women, Dr. Chaudhary and Dr. Minirama. All right. Here we go. Yes, and that's Dr. Mini Randhava's drum roll. Oh, I was going to say, did, she, did Dr. Chaudhary just get a drum roll? <laughs> no, I, was that? Was no. that? I mean, no, she's no, no, I, I agree. For you. <laughs> I know she's good, but boy, oh boy, was that fast. <laughs> All right, so for our listeners who are just tuning in, we are so fortunate today to have Dr. Chaudhary with us, who is a medical director, I believe, of iScope. Let's talk a little bit. You know, for our listeners, what exactly is iScope? Okay, so iScope, it's a, a concussion and pain clinic, and so we see patients who have concussions from 
you know, various different types of injuries, whether it be a car accident, a work injury, just even a fall at home. Um, and, you know, with uh, patients with concussion, even though, you know, the MRI, the CT scan is often normal in these patients, um, they often are quite uh, debilitated or, or can be quite debilitated by their symptoms. And so they can often present with headaches, dizziness, uh, memory concentration issues, mood changes, vision changes. So it's really a whole list of, of different types of um, symptoms. And, uh, you know, the, the way we go about treating these patients is by providing sort of a multifaceted interdisciplinary approach to treatment and, and helping guide these patients uh, throughout their recovery process. Um, and so at iScope, um, we have physicians who do the initial consultations with the, with the patients, and then we can refer them for the various therapies. Uh, we, uh, we link each uh, patient with a care coordinator so that they have a, a point person to help navigate their care. Right. Um, because I previously found that, you know, we can often recommend a number of different treatment options to patients and then they leave the clinic and then they're all often, you know, it can be difficult for them to, to navigate that and to, to actually implement the therapies. And so previously I would do a follow-up with a patient six months later, a year later, and they will, you know, maybe have missed half of the different therapies options and so now we're able to sort of stay connected with the patient throughout that entire journey make sure that the treatment uh, recommendations are being implemented they're um, you know being well supported throughout that mm. yeah that's so huge you know and if any of our listeners right now have um, have been dealing with any sort of brain injury concussion motor vehicle accident one of the things that I've noticed just for through my work is sometimes how helpless or lost you feel because here you are already suffering with these symptoms and you're not always you don't know where to go to get the help and family doctors are lovely but these days it's harder and harder to get in to see a family doctor they're overworked and they're it's hard to find that um to find someone who has the time and the the scope in order to deal with all that that needs to be dealt mm. with with uh, traumatic brain injury and concussion. So if you do have something like that and they want to come to iScope, do they get a referral from their family doctor? And then I know iScope will take over, but the initial referral, who does that come from? So typically the referrals do come from their family doctor. If they've been to the emergency department, the emergency room doctor can refer them. If they've been to a walk-in clinic, the referral can come from there. Um, if a patient uh, has difficulty getting a referral, they can always contact our clinic and we can help try to facilitate that. Okay. Um, but in general, we do have specialists working at our clinic, so a referral is required, but we can we can help uh, facilitate Generate that. that yeah. yeah. Because and we don't really want to you know, turn any, any patients away and we often even the consults that we do oftentimes patients don't have family doctors and so we we do try to facilitate as much as we can in terms of things that they would be getting from their family doctor while still trying to stay focused on on the concussion but at least still helping direct them on on where to go for certain things yeah that's amazing and that's you know i as our listeners probably know i've been working with iscope for a while mm. now and you know in my own clinic what i would do is if i saw someone with a traumatic brain injury concussion suffering from uh post car accident symptoms I would, they would come in and I, I would find a vision issue and I would deal with the vision issue and then they'd be going somewhere else to see an OT and going somewhere else to see 
of maybe a physio, going somewhere else to get vestibular therapy, getting Botox from somewhere else, and it's so disjointed. Yeah. So one of the things I love about dealing with patients through iScope is, let's say John Doe comes in for an appointment with me. I open up his file. Mm. I can see every note written by every person who saw him. So the OT notes are there. The physical therapy notes are there. The oh. Botox schedule is there. Any notes from the neurosurgeon or any other specialist who saw this patient, I have access to all of that. So one of the great things is that we all work together as a team. Right. And the person that benefits the most from that is the patient. So are you in a position to also refer to ice I do, yeah. yeah. So what okay. happens is now I still do get patients who come to see me for uh, through other means and I do usually direct them to iScope and right. I say come and you know well see me through iScope just because that to have that coordinated care amongst mm. medical professionals is priceless when mm. you're dealing with especially brain injury and concussion because it's such a complicated area and there's so many so many factors to that recovery process the more we can work as a team the better it is and then when it comes to, let's say it was a car accident and we're dealing with an insurance company such as ICBC, I believe iScope has the capacity to be the ones to send those referrals to ICBC and direct bill through ICBC as well, correct? Yeah, we try to uh, facilitate and, and make um, interventions as smooth as possible. So as I mentioned earlier, each patient is, is connected to a care coordinator, and that person will have all my treatment recommendations, and they're often actually present for the consult as well, so they know exactly what the doctor has, has told the patient, and they can really help facilitate then now moving to that next step of implementing and starting therapies. And so they can help uh, submit um, submit for funding. They can check to see what the patient already has funding for because patients often don't know. And, yeah. you know, there, it can be a combination of extended health, ICBC, WorkSafe. And so really helping patients navigate that and, um, and implement therapies. Yeah. And it's such an important piece, too, because when you are suffering from something like that, you know, it can be complicated dealing with an insurance mm -hmm. company and oh, yes. sometimes treatments might get rejected and it's it's you know it's a lack of information and so with iScope let's say I recommend uh, a therapy for a patient and ICBC rejects it for whatever reason instead of leaving it up to the patient now to follow up with ICBC right. and figure out what needs to be done and why it got rejected iScope looks into that right. so they make a call and they say well why was this rejected and what do you need to help facilitate the care for this patient. Well, with the latest ICBC uh, rules, where it is no fault insurance, uh, they have given the the ICBC has given people to understand that their well-being is being looked after. So no many, no matter how many um, back injury um, physiotherapies do you need, or or any therapy that you need, it will be looked after. You know, um, that, that doesn't happen. Yeah, you know, I think it's a work in progress. Like, like uh, many uh, things uh. like this are. <laughs> um, in theory, it looks good. And then in practice, is it being implemented? That's no. a whole other issue, right? And yes. that's... Um, well, you can answer to that, <laughs> that, that question. For that, we get uh, Simpson, Thomas and Associates. Yes. And that's the day that we... We uh, we talk about ICBC. Yes. Your heart's content. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> on the on the flip side, the one 
positive, um, you know, which we can try to try to look at, yes. is that um, you know there there is uh, automatic pre-approval for for several uh, therapies yeah. yes. for these patients. So if the patients are referred early enough, and that's what we want, we want yes. the patients coming in those very early mm. acute phases because we don't have any good way of predicting who's going to recover quickly and who's not. Right. And so previously we used to say, well, 90% of concussion patients will recover in the first three months. Right. Mm. But there's more and more literature coming out that that's really not the case. Yes. You know, our numbers are, are lower there may be 50 to 90 percent and 90 percent is a bit of a stretch um, especially because we are also picking up on the more sort of um, you know specific symptoms that were being ignored before so for example the psychological symptoms in a concussion the depression anxiety PTSD, mm. some of that stuff wasn't addressed in as much detail previously, and, and we're finding that that can often prolong um, symptoms of a concussion as well. And, and particularly for, for many patients who've had pre-existing mood symptoms, when they have a concussion, those symptoms can prolong their recovery as well. So by having access to certain therapies, like the physical therapy to address the neck and back pain and dizziness, the kinesiology to address the back pain and, and neck pain, and and counseling, and even even a psychologist to assess the severity of the of the mood symptoms to really help that recovery along. So, with the patients who are in say a car accident and have access to those therapies, you know, the hope is that they will now actually take advantage and do the therapies right. whereas before they may not have because they didn't, didn't know how to mm -hmm. navigate the system or didn't have access to funding to do so so now patients can really try to take advantage of being able to get that full extent of treatment early yes. on yes and the other great thing is that you're not running from your you know, two o'clock appointment in downtown yes. Vancouver at your OTs to try yeah. and get to a four o'clock appointment in Surrey for your physio. Right. Right. So everyone works under, we've got, there's a couple locations, which we'll get into in a, in a couple of minutes, yes. but um, at each location, you have access to all sorts of care. And so you don't need to be traveling. You can get your OT, you can get your, your all your treatments under one, literally under one roof. We're talking to Dr. Minirandhava. It's a third Wednesday of the month, and it is the first day of summer. Oh, it is. I it almost is. forgot about that. Yeah, that's right. So after today, yes. it's going to be sunny. Well, I, it better be. <laughs> <laughs> and we've also got Dr. Nav Chaudhary in the studios. We're going to take a short commercial break, and then we'll be right back with both of them. Spice Radio or Radio Ramjim Sundari, you have a program hai. Dr. Mani Randhava and Dr. Nav Chaudhary. Today we are in our studios. If you want to ask any questions from both of us, telephone number note. We'll give you a sign that you can call us. Although, you know, don't ask me that my mind has a bad mind. Do you want to operate it or not? She will not be able to answer that question. I have asked you, so I will tell you. So, 604-280-1200-604-299-8863, over to you. Wonderful. So, you know, we were talking a lot about eye scope and, and, and the concussions and the brain injuries. There's a whole other uh, company you had mentioned, um, Synoptic? 
Synoptic, yes, synoptic. synoptic medical assessments. What, what exactly is synoptic medical assessments? So at Synoptic, um, they do medical legal reports. Okay. Um, so we have a number of um, expert physicians from varying different uh, specialty areas. Okay. Um, and oftentimes, you know, expert opinion is, is needed to help weigh in in terms of um, the extent of injuries that a patient has had and terms of the, the treatments they've received and if there's any further treatments they would benefit from and just helping right. sort of clarify, you know, were the injuries caused by this accident or not. Um, and so, um, yeah, it just helps provide some clarity in terms of, you know, the causation, the right. prognosis, and just helping, once again, helping patients navigate through their care and ensuring that they're getting the best care possible. So the synoptic is only for the medical legal side of it. That's right. They do a number of different types of uh, medical assessments, and the medical legal is one component of okay. it. Okay. There's some unique treatments now that iScope is starting to offer as well, isn't there, apart from the concussion? Um, or uh, Sorry, I, I shouldn't say apart from the concussion, but some unique scans and some unique equipment that they've brought in. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so as I mentioned earlier, you know, when we do a CT scan or an MRI scan on, on a patient for concussion, the scan is actually normal because yeah. it's more of a it's more of a microscopic injury, so it's not something that we're going to see on a scan. Okay, so and, I'm yeah. time off. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the silly question, time? Please, okay. yes. Uh -huh. yeah. So when you see the brain, do you see it like, uh, like a lot of ripples uh, pictures that we usually see of the brain. How do you know which part of the brain is okay? And is, is that what you learn? That if it is two ripples, it's a good brain? <laughs> <laughs> Three is a bad. <laughs> so, the, yeah, so we, we learn about normal anatomy, the appearance of what, of what the brain looks like, the different areas of right. the brain in terms of what they're responsible for. And so when we do a CT scan or an MRI scan, most of the time we're looking for some type of focal lesion, right? Is there a hemorrhage or is there something else um, there that we, we didn't know about? So sometimes, say, if a patient falls and they end up having a CT or MRI scan because they fell and, had, and they had a headache, we find mm. things that we weren't looking for. We find things like brain tumors oh. and other types of lesions. And so the scan helps clarify that. Is there any other reason for these ongoing symptoms? Okay, so lesion, the word mm -hmm. lesion, mm -hmm. uh, how many things come under the word lesion? Lesion is a very, uh, very broad word which uh -huh. can describe anything abnormal. So whether it, you know, a lesion is just, it, it's a spot. So it can be a hemorrhage. It could be a tumor. It could be a vascular malformation. It can be, you know, an infection the, the list is very diverse okay so i won't divulge into it <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so now you were mentioning that um so if you get a normal ct scan a normal mri scan what next then so the diagnosis of concussion is is based on the symptoms and mm. so you know given the history given the symptoms we're able to make that diagnosis we're able to help um, give recommendations for treatment but sometimes patients uh, fall into you know scenarios where their diagnosis may be dismissed or they're just not being heard because a scan is normal right exactly. and so there um, is special type of imaging called a SPECT scan which looks at uh, brain metabolism blood flow and on those scans when we when we do them we, we often do find ab abnormalities in the metabolism and blood flow which can further confirm the diagnosis okay. and it also reveals um, psychological symptoms so we we see 
you know, PTSD or depression actually come up on these scans quite a wow. bit within that setting of, of concussion. And so that's a further push that this is a patient who, you know, needs the counseling or the psychologist, but also a referral perhaps to a psychiatrist um, to, to further manage those symptoms. So have you guys decided how many percentage of the brain do you guys know? I mean, I thought 11%, but I understand it's more now. (laughs) Yeah, you know, um, I also think, like, what's great about this is so many times, and I think we're, especially in the Indian community, we fall guilty to not really understanding depression, Mm, not really understanding that. I mean, so to hear you say that there is a physiological measurement that can be done that shows you know, you can look at someone's, uh, you can do the spec scan and see some changes in the metabolism, I think you were saying. Right, yeah. That can actually show indications of depression. It really helps to solidify mm. that it's not, you know, something you just snap out of mm. or, you know, what's wrong with you? Like, why, what? I feel why like are you we, so depressed yeah, and all like, that quiet? You know, and... It's a very, um, it's a very taboo subject, I feel like, still in our. Oh, in the Indian community, yeah. for sure, yes. And so if, you know, if there's one big take home from today's show, apart from, you know, give iScope a call if you do have any, <laughs> any questions about any of this, but it's also just, you know, with depression to, to give it some seriousness. If someone you know or you uh, is suffering from depression, you know, to be open to learning more about what it is and what can be done to help them with it and how common it is after brain injury mm-hmm. or concussions. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and it's interesting, would you say, how, how often do you see long-term, um, impact from traumatic brain injury or concussion? So we talked about the importance of early intervention. I can speak today, (laughs) (laughs) but how often do you, would you say, you know, if let's say someone's had an accident and it's been a year or two years even, is it the case now that whatever happened is not whatever symptoms they're still maybe dealing with are now not related to that accident so oftentimes the the symptoms have just been ongoing for so mm-hmm. long and so you know we will get referrals for you know, someone who's had an injury years ago two three years ago mm-hmm. and, and it does become more challenging to treat the symptoms at that point because we know most of that recovery happens early you know the fastest recovery group is within the first three months but we do see some level of recovery even up recovery even up to about two years or so once we hit that two-year mark symptoms often do plateau But what we want to do is we still want to find those gaps in care in terms of, well, what hasn't been done for this patient? What Mm. can we add at this point? And, you know, what I what I see a lot is that um, the physical symptoms have been addressed. The patient's done physical therapy, kinesiology for years. But even within those physical symptoms, you know, their neck pain and back pain may have been addressed, but their dizziness hasn't. And so yes. even within physical therapy, there's something called vestibular physical therapy for dizziness. And that is a symptom that doesn't always get addressed. So we want to ensure that we're targeting each of the symptoms. Mm. And then beyond that, it was the the counseling piece as well. It's, it's yeah. often not there and that we're, we're learning more and more about the value of that as well and recommending it more and more. Mm. You know, it's interesting. We talk a lot about how we're learning. And mm-hmm. I think that's a big word when it comes to traumatic brain injury and concussion Mm -hmm. and I'll give you an example which is partly what led me to this question so vision is as we know very often impacted in Mm. these cases and very often 
neglected and not right. tested or diagnosed. And, you know, when I joined iScope, it was so refreshing to come on board with a group that says, hey, we understand the vision piece and we're interested in treating all aspects of this and getting doing our the best we can to get these patients back to as much of their normal life as you can. Mm -hmm. So what I've started to notice now in my years of treating this is I'll have a patient who has, you know, post-trauma vision syndrome, and we will do some vision rehab, and we'll get their vision better, and, and they come and see me, and their eyes are looking better, their their muscles or eye muscles are looking better, their convergence and divergence, and all that is great, but they're still complaining about some eye strain. So what I've started to do now is to look at their the what we call the anterior segment, the front surface of their eye. Well, I've looked at everything, mm. but what I have found is the front surface of their eye is quite often extremely dehydrated and dried. And so when I go back to look at my notes, I'm like, but when I saw them, let's say, you know, six months ago mm. or a year ago even, it wasn't. So what is it that's causing it to dry out now? Right. Is it weather? Is it medication they're on? You know, what kind of, what are the factors that cause this? And it's been an interesting, you know, um, about six months I've been really kind of investigating this. And what I'm starting to notice is People who have post-trauma vision syndrome and continue to use screens because they oh, are, yeah. you know, screens our whole lives, right? Everything from a phone to our uh, computers. It's hard to get away from screens. What happens is when you use a screen, your blink rate decreases. Mm. So a normal for every five blinks you normally do, you do one when you're on a screen. This is for the general population. For concussion and post-trauma patients, it's usually even less than that because they're just trying so hard to focus and not lose their spot that they're not blinking enough. Oh. Every time you blink, you have some glands along the bottom of your eye called your meibomian glands. Every blink squeezes those glands and the oil comes out of them. If you go for extended period of times, and I mean, you know, over, it can be six months, years, two years, and you're not blinking enough, mm. those glands, the oil starts to harden in there. And so what we have now is the ability to take scans of those glands, and I'm noticing a lot of concussion patients, not in, in those first three months, but after, you know, after, let's say, a year, mm. you'll notice gland atrophy way more than you will in the general population. Wow. And I think it's from that lack of blink that's happening because they're trying to focus, they're trying to concentrate so hard. So, you know, like you say, there's so much that we still don't know and we're still in the process of learning with traumatic brain injury. So it's been an interesting journey for sure, even with when it comes to vision. Well, the, and the entire human body, um, we are still learning, right? I mean, yes. There, there isn't... Um, we are not at the stage uh, like in Star Trek where you just <laughs> put it there and everything. Oh, Shishmaji is a Trekkie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll take a very short commercial break and come back um, for the last 10 minutes of the program. What? Already? Yes. Wow. <laughs> we'll be right back. Spice Radio, Radio Room, Jamsun Riyap, Kap Shabka program hai. Or uh, Dr. Nav Chaudhary and Dr. Mani Randhava are studios. How did you think of bringing Dr. Nav Chaudhary, Dr. Randhava? Well, you know what? What led me to bring her to the program today is what I said about iScope. It's yes. the, the magic of 
as an optometrist, yes. I'm a little bit different than regular medical doctors. Right. Um, it's a different community. And one of the frustrating things is when you have a patient who needs treatment mm. and you're, you can diagnose it and you can measure it and you recommend it, sometimes there's roadblocks to that treatment, whether mm -hmm. it's through insurance, whether it's through other medical professionals, perhaps not understanding what needs mm. to be done. And it, when I had the opportunity to work with iScope, mm. I had a group of doctors and OTs and, and all sorts of medical professionals who were all like willing to listen and mm. willing to learn what each other does oh. and support each other yeah. in order to help the patient. So that's how I met her. And mm. it was it's just been such a wonderful, wonderful experience, better than I had anticipated even, just to what collaborative care can provide for a patient. Yeah. Lovely. And I have to thank Minnie for that as well, because I think even as, as a doctor, I've gained a lot from that. And the way that I manage my patients has mm -hmm. evolved quite a bit, just even from seeing her assessments, seeing her document those sort of ocular abnormalities yeah. and sort of there's a diagnosis that we call binocular dysfunction in, right. in concussion when the eyes just aren't coordinated, they're not working well together. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with, with Minnie being able to, to document that and provide vision therapy for the patients and you really do see that that difference being made. Yeah, it's great. You know, I think as a Canadians, we are uh, we're at a crossroads in our medical system. You know, we often hear about how um, the finances aren't there to support the medical needs that are going to be there in the future. Right. And I think the more we start working towards collaborative care. One, the patient benefits, and I think if we can move towards a system, you know, at iScope we have these care coordinators you're talking about. If we get more care coordinators um, and, and change the system to a way in which we all as medical professionals work together, mm. I think it's going to... Uh, take away some of that strain that mm. the medical professions feels right now. But the the field, the field of medicine and the doctors in different departments, it's getting so convoluted at the moment because there are some doctors who do not want to meet their patients and they want to do everything through, you know, a Zoom virtual, or yes. virtual, you know, meetings. But you know what? Uh, in a person's life, they really do want to get, um, they do want some assurance, yes. physical yeah. assurance from their yeah. doctors, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I give you an example of my mother. My mother used to go and see a doctor and, and, and she would come and say that the minute I would get to the doctor's office and he would ask me, how are you doing and how's everything? She said, half of my pain and anguish was <laughs> over and done. You know? Oh my goodness. So it was just so reassuring that there is somebody there who's looking after you. So when you, when as a patient, you call a doctor's office and they say, you're not going to be able to get the meeting with the doctor. You just sort of wonder, you know, who is there to look after you? You know what, Shishmuji, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue against this for a little bit. Really? Even <laughs> though I agree with what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and it's so funny you should say that because I do work in person. Yes. I don't do any virtual because with vision you really can't. Mm. Um, but... Um, and, and I have so many patients who actually say that. Who yes. say that Adi Bumari. I can't say it as well as they do. Adi Bumari and Deki. That's what they say. Yeah, that's that's what, right. Do you speak Punjabi or Hindi? I do, I do. Okay, yeah, yeah so I, I struggle with it, but I do speak it. <laughs> um, but it's so, and it's so lovely to have that connection. And when I go into work, I, I really... I do very limited phone consults and virtual appointments. Yes. I'd say 90% is in person. What's that 10% that I do do? Right. It's what I want when I'm a patient. 
because uh, when I'm a patient, I don't have time. Yes. Uh, my schedule is so chock full, and I just have this small thing that I need to talk to my doctor about. I don't want to go there and park oh, and go upstairs and mean. wait. I, I just call me when you're ready. We'll have a five minute conversation, and then I'm good. Right? We've got a caller on the line. So we're going to take line four. They always call the line four, right? <laughs> um, line four, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Fine, thank you. Do you have a question? Yes, I have a quick, silly question to Dr. Randawa. Yes, please. <laughs> you know that Lumigan that you apply on your eyelashes grows? I know it's for the eye pressure. That's right. If you don't have pressure in your eyes, can you still apply? So what you should be using, there's a, uh, a formula called Latisse. So Latisse is for people who don't have glaucoma, but want to grow longer, thicker, fuller eyelashes. That's what you should be using. I will say Latisse works like magic. It is wonderful. Should you be using Lumigan if you don't have glaucoma? No, you should not. But you should get the uh, Latisse formulation, and that you can apply to your eyelashes. And is it like doctor's prescription or? Yeah, you can go to any one of your uh, your local optometrists, and they can they almost all of them should have that for or be able to write it for you. Okay, so it's L A T E E S. L A T I S S E. I S S E. Okay. Thank okay, you you're so, so welcome. Enjoy those Thank lashes. Okay. Wow. <laughs> so do you have to be a good pers good uh, speller as well in your profession? Oh my goodness, what if this were one thing. No, because you know what's great is the messy writing hides yeah. all the spelling mistakes. <laughs> is that why the doctors have messy We're horrible spellers. Oh. <laughs> um, sorry, glaucoma was another issue that, you know, when you come next time, I would like to talk about glaucoma. Yes. Because... Uh, uh, glaucoma has a Punjabi name as well. Kalamotia. Kalamotia. Okay. And the reason it's called Kalamotia, so in, and we have Kalamotia and Chitta. Mm. And the Chitta Motia is cataract. Okay. And everyone knows it as a, the okay one. Okay. Because cataract, as you know, yes. is very easily treatable. She said you know because I've had <laughs> <laughs> And it's great because once they take it out, it's actually, it's so easy to treat and your yes. vision is so much sharper and clearer. And, and that is good. Galamutia is the one that people fear, and I think that's mm. why they call it Galamutia, because if it's not treated effectively, it can mm. lead to some vision loss, mm -hmm. and that is glaucoma. Mm. And so glaucoma is a little bit, and, and people say glaucoma cataract as if they're interchangeable. They're two very, very different conditions. And are, are, are they hereditary, both of them? Um, there's hereditary components to them, okay. absolutely. To both of them. Yes, but then there are other factors as well. Okay. Yeah. And and could that be uh, weather? Uh, UV light yes. is been uh, is known to increase your chances of cataract. Okay. So UV, you know, that would be a component. I don't think there's any uh, environmental component. Okay. To last about. last question. Please. If you've had um, cataract operation done, and you continue using, um, you know screens and all that can you get cataract again no okay no so once that lens is taken out you can't get another cataract you're not going to get um you can have other issues but no no cataract okay yeah so that can that lens that you put it in can that get muddy and no you 
sometimes that when they put that lens in your eye, it gets put in, um, there's a bag that it sits in. Oh. And sometimes the that bag in the back of your eye can get a cloud in it. Yeah. And if that happens, some you know, you will sometimes hear that referred to as a secondary cataract. And they will treat that very, very easily with just a laser. Okay. And that opens up that bag and clears up that cloud. All right. Thank you, both of you, for coming to the studio. And I hope this is not the first and the last time for you, Dr. Chaudhary. As long as I get a drum roll. <laughs> Oh, the negotiations! <laughs> Is she willing to share? Oh, you know what? For you, I'll do it. <laughs> well, I hope. Oh, oh just, Anita, I was going to say, don't let Anita and Divya hear this. <laughs> but I must admit to you that I did give Anita a small drum roll. You know what? It's okay. As long as mine is bigger. <laughs> With that, we come to the end of our show. We will be here tomorrow and oh, there is a caller, but we can't take it. Um, <laughs> we've got uh, a show tomorrow and it's going to be an interesting one. Um, stay tuned for the Drive Home Grind with DJ Flight and Maya right here on Spice Radio and your requests on Radio Rim Jim with Nutan.